Brock's freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Gotta, Mike. On Seattle Sports. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Well, it won't be like a first thought reaction because we spent most of the morning yesterday assuming that it was going to go down later in the day. It took just, what, 15 minutes after we signed off, 10.15 yesterday morning. We found out that Mike McDonald was officially the new head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And, uh, Brock, you've had uh, almost, what, 20 hours or Mm -hmm. so to think about it since then, a little more than that. Yep. What's your biggest? A lot of videos uh, to watch, yeah. a lot of pictures to look at. I, I love that his wife was with him. She gets, you know, walk through the doors first. I Obviously. love all of those little details. I love the big hugs. I loved uh, Schneider's sweatshirt. So yeah, there's plenty of things. Plenty of things I loved. Uh, this is uh, m- my first reaction. Is this is a pretty big swing of that pendulum from Pete to a a guy a half his age. That's the the most obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 36 to Pete 72. And just from uh, the way that he's going to kind of carry himself and his approach and everything else going to be vastly, vastly different than Pete. And I don't think they went into this going, gosh, we got to be totally different than Pete. And we got to be, you know, 180 from him in so many different ways. But just from, uh, yeah, just from a presentation, just from, uh, as I said, an age, just from a youthfulness, just from kind of a, an X's and O's. Strengths and weaknesses. A big, yes, going to be a big, big difference yeah. uh, over the years talking to this guy than the uh, than the grandpa we did for seven, you know for so many years. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He's an awesome, awesome, awesome dude. But, man, you got just incredibly younger yesterday. Yeah, it, it strikes me, I kind of mentioned this in the 6 a.m. hour, that without changing the tone, they've managed to change almost everything else. That Mike Vrabel, or so that would have changed the tone. Yeah, that would have turned it from positive to negative. That would have turned it from, you know, Pete to something that was 180 degrees the other way. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do that, right? We heard about that from from yep. Schneider, that was from, the mandate Jody. from Jody. That was the yep. mandate. Yep. But it does feel like they made every other change possible, and, and it's not to say that Pete's not smart. <clears throat> but that, but his scheming was not his strength. It wasn't his forte. No. Right? His strength was his ability to motivate. To bring people together. I don't know whether this guy can do that or not. Yep. They decided to take a chance there because they wanted his ability to play chess. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I would uh, co-sign on, on all of that. And this guy wanted to be here, too. You know, that, that report has is, is come out and, and kind of made it abundantly clear. Washington tried to call as he's on his way to Seattle. And, yeah, don't not going to do it. Not going to do it because I want to be here. I want to be here with this group. It takes two. It takes both sides of this thing. Salk, so over the course of all of this process, mm-hmm. the Seahawks, you know, went and pursued lots of different people, interviewed just about everybody under the sun. This guy was the last. I think that's an advantage. I honestly do. I, I think, you know, you can evaluate him compared to all those others that you spent all that time with. Once we heard he was on that plane yesterday back to Seattle, uh, we kind of felt this was this was coming. They got their guy. John got their guy. You said all the way through the process, Salk, with all of these different candidates, that if John ends up going with one of these young guys, one of these coordinators, he's going to be wowed because the other pick, the safe pick, was there. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn was there, a former head coach. Mike Vrabel was there. Bill Belichick was there. Those guys are on the streets. They're available. They were there. 
And I think ultimately, and, and I can't wait for this press conference today as John and, and crew is going to go into more detail with this, but ultimately I think they sat down and went, yep, yep, this is what we want. This is our guy. This is who we, we're going to need coming out of Pete Carroll and feeling unbelievably big shoes. And as you said, he's going to do it differently. His strengths are a little different than Pete's strengths. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, you bundle it all together and at 11 o'clock this morning, we're going to get, it's going to be weird, man. It's going to be surreal when John walks in with him. I, um, I may have texted some people over there and said, did John do this simply because he's the only guy he can look down on? <laughs> <laughs> that, for somebody shorter yeah he was looking for somebody you know somebody a little younger somebody a little shorter um and got a few little chuckles back with that one but i think john found his guy and we're going to hear that at 11 o'clock today yeah this should be uh this should be fascinating 11 a.m this morning you'll hear it live on bump and stacy get really our first chance to hear and ask this guy a ton of questions who's going to be your offensive coordinator what direction yep. does he want to go a quarterback what yep. ravens does he want to bring over what's the rest of the staff look like it does sound like he's going to be you know the defensive it's going to be his defense i sure hope so and i sure hope he calls it i could not agree more with gary kubiak who joined the show yesterday wyman and bob and was like yeah man that you i mean emphatically you do not hand that over you're 36 years old this is your first gig at it now maybe eventually you have somebody that's underneath you and, and grows with you and, and has that opportunity but man alive like kubiak yesterday said on the station i sure yeah. hope that here he is, plays and uses his greatest strength. here's gary kubiak when i became a head coach i was I called plays, you know, my whole career. That's how I got to where I was. I mean, that's how I got an opportunity to be a head coach. And I think uh, the guys that do that, you know, their football team sees that presence. They understand, hey, he's got that side of the ball, you know, those types of things. And it's so important when you look around the league at real successful places, there's a lot of, you know, you look at Kyle, you look at Matt LaFleur, these guys call, call plays, they call things. So, I don't think you ever get away from what your strength is or what got you to where you're at. Maybe over a period of time, that changes if you're at a place for a long time. But I think initially, you uh, that's why you're there. That's how you got there. Make sure you got that side of the ball under control. Your greatest strength. That's exactly right. I mean, this this is why you were appealing. You had the number one defense, number you know top five in just about every metric out there. Salk and yards per play and touchdowns allowed and and all of the, that that that's you. That that that's what you did at Michigan in, in a one year turnaround where you took a bunch of slop from the year before that was giving up over thirty points a game and you totally turned them around and turned them into a playoff contender. You go back to Baltimore. You did the same thing. So no, you have to continue to call that. That is that is your strength now managing the whole rest of the game the people around you they're going to help facilitate some of that does that make it harder i mean how much harder is it to manage the rest of the game while you're calling the plays i think for i think for offensive guys i think it can be harder I think for defensive guys, you see it with Eberflus in, in Chicago. You see it with D'Amico Ryans, a first-time head coach. He seemed to be able to adapt and adjust pretty well, and you're number one down there in Houston doing it. So, no, I think you're right in the game. I think you're thinking over all those situations. Now, you got to have trusted people around you. So when that group comes to the sidelines, mm -hmm. <laughs> like over the last 10 years where you got your group to talk to, nope, your eyes are going to be How does that, that work? Have, have you played ever for, I mean, Holmgren did, right? He called Holmgren plays. Holmgren called all the plays. So, Dun so what happened not. during those moments? So it's, it's you know, you come off the field, right? The defense oh, yeah. is out there. And, he and he's wants, a little red faced. Right. And, and he wants upset. to talk yep. to the offense for a while and kind of, you know, strategize together about what's yes. going on. Yes. 
does he not watch the game during no, that? Like, what I, happens? Yeah, I mean, and sometimes What happens if you got to throw a challenge flag then? Sure. Sometimes going to yell at you a little bit. But more than anything, he's community. He's watching the game. He's, he's back to now, okay, the defense is on the field. I'm in this game while communicating with the offensive coordinator or... So there's still a coordinator who oh, is coming absolutely. to you to actually communicate some absolutely. of that during the game. And there will be a defensive coordinator that he brings right along. And mm-hmm. there will be, you know, some game management people upstairs. There will be quality. Whomever, that, whomever his tater is going to be. Uh, you know, he's going to have those extra set of eyes upstairs as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't find one little note. And as we looked at his resume over the years, one thing that did jump out, and I read this this morning, I think this was pretty astute. You know, he has a business management background. You talked and have talked about that, Salk, over the years, that when you were in that position, it was different than being just a, a an on-air host, that you have to manage people. And there's a lot that goes into that. That's a lot of his background. Got a master's in that. You know, is, is not only a super bright, could have gone to Wall Street kind of guy, but also has that in his pocket of understanding maybe how to lead and how to manage. And I bet you that comes out at 11 o'clock today. Yeah. You know, that unlike some of his peers that don't have that particular background, he is. And he was, you know, he's he was educated in it and he's going to use it here moving forward which is cool all right he's the new coach mike mcdonald we're going to get to meet him at 11 a.m as he uh greets the city of seattle and got to see a little video of him arriving at the building yesterday to great applause and great excitement it sure sounds based on the phone calls at 6 30 like everybody yeah. out here is excited as yeah well. and i'm and i think i'm a little more excited than three weeks ago right as we looked at all of these different candidates the familiar always is the easiest the harbaugh's the variables those are always the easiest just because they've been there and they've done it. The mm-hmm. familiar with Quinn would have been really easy to kind of wrap our arms around. This was not as easy. This is like many of his draft picks over the years. And then as you kind of dig into it, like, okay, yeah, I like Spoon. Yeah, I, I like these guys. You know, I, I, I love some of, some of his instinct and some of his trust. And this was all him. I mean, this was made very clear to me that this was, if you're wondering, is this Burt Cold? Is this Joe? Nope. This was John Schneider from beginning to end. And we'll get a whole bunch more feel for that today. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, by now, you certainly know the Seahawks have their replacement for Pete Carroll. Took exactly three weeks for them to name a successor. His name is Mike McDonald. He's going to be here for a little while, according to Adam Schefter. Earlier today, the Seattle Seahawks reached agreement with Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, on a six-year contract. The deal is done. He will be the Seattle Seahawks' next head coach. And essentially, they will go from having the oldest coach in the league to having the youngest coach in the league. Yeah, pretty amazing how things change. Brady Henderson on the station yesterday with uh, Bump and Stacy saying that this was why they needed to make the move. One of the central questions in this hire for John Snyder is how do you find a way to catch up? The, especially the 49ers, but also the the Rams, who beat them twice this past season have really had their number uh, for the most part over the last few years, except for 2022. Um, and so, I mean, I think there's, you know, it, it's two very smart offensive minds in the same division that you've got to catch up to. And I think this past offseason, as, as much as the Seahawks did last year to add talent and to try to close that gap, I mean, they the 49ers are still a superior team talent-wise. And so... How do you close that gap with your scheme? And I think that this is the best way to do it. 
And they're doing it in a way that's a little counter to a lot of football. A lot of football in the NFL over the last five years, ten years. I was looking at numbers, Salk, yesterday. It's like two-thirds offensive guys. They're typically the ones that are going to get that shot. We're going to go toe-to-toe. We're going to outscore Kyle Shanahan. We're going to go outscore Mm -hmm. Sean McVay. And not here. Not this time around. A six-year commitment. So that's going to be a hefty number on the other side of six years. That's not always disclosed. and It doesn't matter because it doesn't affect anything with the salary cap. The heavy lift is done. After three weeks, the heavy, heavy lift is done. It's like a good bench press workout. But you know what now? You got to finish the rest of the workout. Uh Now you got to do your core. Mm. Now you got to do your triceps Mm. and biceps. Now you got to put together the whole rest of that staff, (laughs) which is going to be an important part of it here over the next few weeks. Here's the second thing you need well, to yes, know. Well, yes, Brock, that's the second thing you need to know. Now that he's here, McDonald's got a long list of things to do. Needs a coaching staff. He needs an offensive coordinator. That would be the most important hire yep. that he's got to make. Who is it going to be? More from Brady Henderson yesterday. Some of these other guys that they've interviewed, uh, namely Mike Kafka, I, I have wondered if he could be um, you know, a possibility for them. Now, he was the play caller uh, with the Giants under Brian Dable, but you know, as I was researching him as a guy who could end up being Seattle's next coach, you know, I, I learned that. Um, you know, I think this is out there as well that you know there there was some thought that Brian Dable was kind of you know secretly taking over play calling duties from him. So point being, that may be a situation where they would let him out if the Seahawks truly wanted Kafka to be their offensive coordinator. Not just the coordinator job, but how about all of the unrestricted free agents they mm-hmm. have in Baltimore? Have you looked at that list? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can franchise tag Justin Matabuike if they want, but Patrick Queen, Geno Stone, their safety, there's both of their guards, Tyler Huntley, who you know I like a lot. There, there are some dudes there yeah. that, that may want to travel west with him. Yeah, and it's February 1st, and you've got all your own unrestricted free agents as well, starting with Big Cat right there in the middle of it. A lot of thought, you know, went into and certainly reading and digging yesterday after this news broke. Remember who his closest contacts are. When it comes to football, his his touch point is Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh. He's been around the Harbaugh brothers. That is the tree. So are you interested in Greg Roman? Are you in, I mean, do you want to go all in with defense and run the ball? There's a lot of history with Greg mm-hmm. Roman and the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. It was Colin Kaepernick, and it was Jim Harbaugh, and it was a run game, and went to Buffalo and put together a run. I mean, it is going to be a heavy line of scrimmage, heavy run game. Yeah, this next kind of set of decisions will continue a conversation about the identity of what this program will be. Here's the third thing you need to know. Oh, and by the way, we're just two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting for duty in Peoria. If the season started today, I guess you'd assume Dom Canzone battles and likely beats out Cade Marlowe for that final outfield spot, the lefty spot in the outfield. Dylan Moore's your 26th man. Yep. Think about that compared to last year with Cooper Hummel, with uh, Tommy LaStella, with some of the guys that were still on the roster last year. And uh, things look a little bit deeper this season. Injuries are going to you know, change some of those projections. But as of now, I'd say the biggest thing we're watching for in spring training is the pen. After Munoz, Brash, and maybe Spire, who's next? Probably three, maybe four spots up for grabs in that bullpen. Well, Saucedo is the uh, pivot man. I yes. think that's the way Jerry. He's pivot man. Yeah, he's the pivot man. He's one of those just crafty. Crafty guys at the pivot man right there to turn it over to your leverage guys. Yeah, there's a lot of arms, you know, talking to Jerry earlier in the week, kind of a reminder like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, geez. 
goodness, there are a lot of people. And that is the strength and has been the strength over a decade of Scott and Jerry and that team is developing those bullpen arms. And Topo won highly esteemed when he came in here. Seawald won highly esteemed when he came in here. A lot of these guys, Matt Brash had filthy, filthy stuff, but they had to dial it in. Somebody's going to have to do that from within Salk. And there are still, if there are some available remaining free agents that would fit, and to your roster needs, yep. there are still some guys on the streets there before camp. And you mentioned those arms. Mitch Garver was on the Hot Stove Show, uh, what, last night, two nights ago? And uh, he talked about how this rotation is really hard to deal with. You know, they, they go in with a game plan, and they stick to it. And that's one of the harder things about facing the Mariners is, you know, they're, they're kind of relentless when it comes to, to their approach. It's, it's been well documented over the years that um, the Mariners staff has one of the lower arm release heights on the mound. And, and basically what that means is, you know, when they're, when they're releasing the ball, it's lower than the average MLB pitcher. And so what it does to a hitter is it kind of throws off their perception of what the ball is actually doing. Um, so it's pretty unique in that aspect. That they, they, it's kind of something that they go for, um, a lower release height, it makes the velocity play up higher. It makes the breaking balls perceive a little bit different. And um, it's it's very hard to game plan. Again. As you know, Brock, that's been well documented over the last few years. Well, yeah, kind of like uh, Ian Hutchinson said to George Kittle, you're messing with my proprioception when he buried him into the ground, at which point Kittle's like, I went to Iowa. Don't know what that word means, but thank you. It was a fun little exchange with those two battling it out. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. Uh, we're going to learn the answers to some of these questions today, or at least start to get answers mm-hmm. right at 11 o'clock as uh, he does meet for the first time for a press conference. And a lot of questions, I'm sure, from the assembled media about what he wants to do, some of the directions he can go, how he plans to handle some of the questions ahead of him. So I'm looking forward to learning some of that. But until yeah. we get there, Brock, I want to ask you about some of them. And specifically on the offensive side of the ball, because I think the first two major decisions he has to make are on offense. Mm -hmm. Do you want to compliment or do you want to reach into your past, into your history? I'll ask you about that next. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. days after the Super Bowl, Mike McDonald and John Schneider are going to have to make a decision on Geno Smith. What do we know about Mike McDonald and what can it tell us about the direction he might go at quarterback, offensive coordinator, etc.? Brock, let's start by trying to consider what kind of an offense you think he'll want. Mm. I think we know what kind of defense he's going to want, right? Mm-hmm. We, he's going to want his defense, I assume, to look a whole lot like it did in Baltimore. And he's, and he's got a bunch of pieces here now. I mean, Dre Jones is here. Jaron Reed is here. Mm-hmm. Uchenna Nwosu is here. You got some dudes now. Big Cat, you certainly hope you can get something done with. I think his play over the final 10 weeks was one of the bright spots on that defense. And for a guy that wants big, heavy, long, heavy-handed physical dudes in the middle and athletic edge setters and difference makers, like you, your personnel, and again, probably why this was more attractive than some of the other places for Mike McDonald. Like, yep, 
yep, there's some clay here for me to mold. And then I got a, you know, a freak show rookie last year in Devin Witherspoon. I got to get another rookie or second year player back to the form he was mm-hmm. in Reek Woolen. And there's Quandre Diggs and, and, you know, at linebacker, we'll see. There's, you know, there's plenty of opportunity if you want to run that back or you want to revamp it a little bit with people you know. So defensively, Salk, there's a lot of pieces for him to work well, with. And I think we have a pretty good sense as to what he's going to want that to look like. Correct. What kind of offense are you going to pair with that? That's that's going to be the big question. And, and, and I think you can probably assume it would go in one of two directions, which will give you, I would think, quite a bit of conversation around Geno Smith. Do you want to have a ball control offense built on not turning it over, right? Keeping your offense out there as long as possible to help out your defense as much Mm -hmm. as you can. Mm -hmm. Do you want to run it and then have play action and allow Gino to kind of run into some of his strengths? That would make a lot of sense. Yes, it would. That's option A. I guess there's probably three. Option B. Do you want a team that is as high-powered as you can find, that is difficult to deal with X's and O's wise because he's young and maybe he has some of that same, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, desire, knows what's hard for him to coach against and wants to put that on the other side? Young, bright, innovative, creative, you know, find find your peer on that offensive side. And then the third option is, does he want to, does he want to, Go with something similar to what he's watched for the last few years in Baltimore Mm -hmm. and Lamar Jackson, Mm -hmm. who runs the ball all over the place and provides an athletic element that is going to be incredibly difficult, I think, uh, for for defenses to deal with. So that's not Geno Smith. If he's looking to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game, that's probably not Geno either. If he's looking for the first kind of ball control offense, Mm -hmm. that sure sounds like Geno. So what yep. what direction do you think he wants yep. to go? And we can look at a little recent history here too. Now, uh, you know, and I and I think that that's instructive at times to do, because D'Amico Ryan's, you know, what what did he do? He came out of the Shanahan tree, so different tree, and he had to compete against it, and he had to practice against it, and he went and pulled a Bobby Slowick who came from that tree, mm-hmm. and then obviously they get their QB at the number two in the draft to build around at C.J. Stroud, and and there's a whole bunch of okay, you do the Shanahan thing, I'm gonna do my defensive thing we're going to make it work and we're going to get all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs is a rookie head coach on the flip side you got a robert sala who's already had to shuffle coordinators and he too tried to to go young initially mm-hmm. pull someone from that san fran staff didn't work out as well then he brings in and Nathaniel well, aaron Rodgers brings in nathaniel <laughs> hackett right that did, certainly mm-hmm. has not gone well now what you know so I think ultimately, and this is a, a very vanilla answer and you're not going to like it, but ultimately it's the same reason Mike McDonald was hired. Mike McDonald's got to just hire the best guy, the best guy. Don't be loyal. Don't just be loyal to what you know. I mean, Greg Roman's a lot of what he's going to know. And, you know, he's got a lot of that background in that Harbaugh tree or, and I think the better point is those guys on defense know what's hard to stop. They know what gives them, as you said, the most fits. So can I find somebody along those lines? And I can't help as you think of that and ask that question, Salk, of two different anecdotes, one from my own playing career and one from Alex Smith earlier this year on, on NFL Live where he kind of made waves hmm. and, and, and about the only time he did this year. From my playing days, I've told this story before. It was in a hallway in the office meetings room in Cheney in training camp, my rookie year, and Gil Haskell, longtime assistant, longtime confidant of Mike Holmgren, said, hey, kid, you should be thankful. 
you should be thankful you went to an offensive-minded coach because in this league, there's the offensive silos and the defensive silos, and guys are wired totally different. And you came out of your college career, and you played you know, in a defense for a defensive head coach and everything else. You should be thankful that you got drafted by an offensive, aggressive, QB in mind, offensive-centric team, and go for it. So that, that, that was 25 years ago, Salk. Alex Smith earlier this year, and I'll just read it here. There's a different mentality from my career. And you remember who Alex Smith played for a lot of different coaches. Ultimately, his best ball was with Andy Reid. But there's a different mentality from my career. When you play for an offensive head coach that wants to light up the scoreboard and outscore the opponent, especially as a young QB versus a defensive head coach, when really the coach's mentality is, hey, don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Don't turn the ball over. Don't push the ball down the field. So that is going to you know, come into play a little bit. I think some of that is 20 years ago. Some of that's even 10 years ago. I think the really astute head coaches and the D'Amico Ryans and others, uh, Todd Bowles down there in Tampa, understand like, hey, man, I got to do my thing incredibly well, and then I got to hire the best people on offense to play to our personnel and do their job at an incredibly high level. So you think Gino's here next year? I think Gino's actually, I'm going to get to this in Blue 88 too, um, or we can find a different Blue 88. I think Gino could be the perfect guy for Mike McDonald. The perfect guy for year one of Mike McDonald. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not going to run like crazy, but he's also probably going to have to push that envelope a little bit more, Salk, in year one with the new guy, kind of like he did in year one as a starter when he had to prove it. And he ran for a ton of, I mean, we spouted those numbers all year. The difference with Geno's legs, year one to year two. The difference when I'm in prove it mode versus, yeah, man, I got, you know, 30 million. The difference between, hey, man, I, I got to prove that I can do it in the pocket and just do it with my arm and protect myself versus, no, man, I'm going to go out there and compete and do whatever it takes. So I think a, a Geno is going to be with 10 years of experience, knowing everything here, can play and compete and win games in the end, Salk. I think he threw more game-winning go-ahead touchdowns in the fourth quarter and overtime, more of those than anybody in the league, and is going to keep you in every game. I think a Geno would be very, very attractive. And then if you want to go back and circle back and trade down in the draft and, I don't know, maybe find a young, dynamic dude that runs 4-5 and super athletic and knows how to win games that he spent a year with in Ann Arbor named J.J. McCarthy, then maybe you can go down that road and have your QB of the future. So, yeah, I think, I think Gino, honestly, pretty good fit. You? I, if that's the direction he wants to go, yes. I, I just, you know, I do think that if I were him, it'd be hard to ignore what it's like having Lamar Jackson on my team. It is. It's It'd be really, real hard it, to ignore the number of times he watched. Well, it didn't really matter what the scheme said because Lamar exactly Jackson right. just did it. That's exactly And how right. helpful that was and, you yep. know, how it fit with a running mentality and a great de- helped a great defense, et cetera. So, you know, I, he, he could not many Lamar direction. Jacksons in the history of the NFL. That's for sure. And people will say, well, hold on a second. Jaden Daniels coming out. Watch him at the combine. Mm-hmm. He's going to run 4-4. He ran for 1,000 yards. Richardson yep. came out last year. I mean, like, there yep. are guys that share some of those traits. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mentioned Tyler Huntley earlier just because he's kind of a very poor man's version of that, and he's going to be a free agent. I've always been sort of interested in him. Yep. 
if he does want to start to move in that direction, do you see somebody like Huntley come in as a backup next year? Possibly, yeah, as a backup. But I think for the number and the value and what Gino gives you and the accuracy mm-hmm. and the anticipation and also, you know, as one of those guys, and we talked about this over that first year as a starter under Pete, like, hey, man, he's a perfect guy to give you a real – and what we thought was going to be just a uh, <laughs> a rebuild year, mm-hmm. it, it turned out to not really be a rebuild year because he and a bunch of dudes played at a high level but i think he's also the perfect guy to give you kind of the litmus test for the entirety of your roster and your team and the direction you want to go and how you want to shape it from you know from day one of mike mcdonald which is yesterday or today to you know day 365 i think he'll he he would be again such a comfort in that way because you know what you're going to get well i also think it's very possible that whoever in whatever direction he goes in in year one may not have that much to do with his long-term idea i mean he's going to have a little challenge finding the right coordinator right now, right? Some of those guys have already been hired. He is young, as people have brought up, may not have as many connections. So the fact that he hires person X this year to be his coordinator, Mm -hmm. I don't know whether his staff is going to be entirely what he wants it to be right off the bat, right? That's going to be some of the challenge. And, you know, we played that cut from Brady, and Brady certainly mentioned this on Monday with all of the interviews they did and all of the learning but the majority of those were defensive-minded guys. Mm-hmm. Right? Dan Quinn, defensive-minded guy, and Patrick Graham, defensive-minded guy, and Evero, defensive-minded guy. And, yeah, they talked to Ben Johnson, who ultimately stayed. They talked to Slowick the first time. They talked to Frank Smith way back when. He was one of their first interviews, just a, just a one-timer. Yeah, that was just a virtual deal. Yep. But they at least have some background there, and I think that that due diligence is really important. Is they, I'm sure last night and through the interview process and today and tomorrow, Salk, now got to move. Now they got to move and put that staff around Mike McDonald. So why do you think they went with a defensive-minded guy? Because I think it was just so overwhelming. I think it was the same reason why they took Devin Witherspoon at five. I, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna hear that, and I think they can legitimately say, like they did last April when they took Spoon at five, Salk, mm. and came out at that table for the first time in 14 years with empirical evidence, and said, "We got the guy we wanted," because we could have taken Jalen Carter, we could have taken the second DB, we could have taken the right. There's a bunch of places we could have gone, but this is the dude that we wanted, and ultimately, as they did all of their interviews, I think fairly open-minded from what I've heard. And went into it kind of with open hands and as little bias as possible to just find their best guy, the one that was going to partner with John, the mm-hmm. one that's going to bring these attributes of of game management and scheme and things that you know had slipped over the last few years. Found their guy and boom, don't care that he's offense or defense. And yeah, you know John. But they did t- interview, as you just said, a lot more defensive guys than offensive guys, so that doesn't seem like an accident. That's probably a little bit of availability as well. I mean. I think that's also just kind of what is what's in the market. Maybe you know what, what, who are and where are. I mean, so many of these young, well, they didn't have Maurice guys back that, for a second interview, right? They didn't have Graham back for a second interview. I mean, maybe Graham's a defensive guy. Yeah, uh, I, I, Smith. I'm sorry, is what I meant, not Graham. Frank Smith. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe those things are related. Maybe not. I don't yep. know. You know, it did seem like early in the process, John maybe was looking to find somebody mm-hmm. maybe more on the offensive side of it, but mm-hmm. obviously when it got well, done. Kafka, Kafka would be interesting. Kafka they talked to twice. Mm-hmm. Kafka, certainly the name heated up. Certainly, you know, what was the only offensive guy I think they brought back for that second interview. I guess Ben Johnson was as well. Those were those were the two. 
That's the name that just kind of continues to get kind of spit around a little bit. He's got background with an Andy Reid. He's got background with the Dable. He's got background in scheming and been a former quarterback and been a lot of different places. You know, can they and will they pull him away from the Giants? Will Brian Dable say, yep, go ahead. I'll release him from his contract and he can make a lateral move as a coordinator. Do you and- like that for a guy that kind of lost that gig last year? Yeah, he kind of lost it because Dable kind of had to find it and save and salvage himself. Mm-hmm. And once Daniel Jones went out, I don't know if Kafka was the one that said, let's sign Daniel to $40 million a year. You know, if he was, then I questioned some of the judgment. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to trust their their process, their interviewing with him. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, if they think, you know, another 30-something, man, this team is going to be young, Salk. Holy smokes. I mean, this team by by this coaching staff is going to be so much younger mm-hmm. than what we have felt there. And and I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think when you're relating to Gen Z and, and you're relating to this group and you're getting these guys to buy in and you look around and Lafleur's pretty young and Shanahan's pretty young and dude in Detroit, you know, middle age like you and me, 47, he's pretty young. You know, there's a there's a lot of youth that, that that's out there. You know, accomplishing some pretty high level things. Right I, I would like to point out that I am not 47. I am 45. However, oh, you're only 45. However, okay. I would also like to point out that as of today, yep. someone in my life is a year older than me because wow. it's somebody's birthday today. Wow. She's probably not listening, so I can say mm-hmm. whatever I want. But on uh-huh. the off chance that she's driving to school right now with the kids, yep. I'll just say happy birthday to my lovely wife. Uh, today is her birthday. Gosh, a lot of birthdays around this time. Yeah. Wow. Molly's it's a big birthday, birthday time. Heather's yeah. birthday, Grandpa Mike's birthday, Larry's birthday. Gosh, I wonder. Yeah, uh, actually, I'm not going to wonder why. So huh? Never, never mind. You, I, not, I, you I, want I, to try to figure out what's going on? You're not going to go, what was going <laughs> on nine months ago? I just found how this whole process that goes says, down. That says, howdy, Heather, birthday present. Oh, jeez. I don't know. You can, can you play it? Yeah, you can play it. We'll find it? out what it is. Dear Heather, today is your birthday. Oh, no. We are so thankful for you here on Brock and Salk. You make our lives so much better every day, as we've come to find out. When you're on vacation, Mike gets more and more impossible to handle with each passing day. You are a saint. Truly someone to be praised for your courage, bravery, and patience. To think that you've spent over a decade listening to Mike yell and whine and drone on and on, wow. day after day, year nice? after year, really not nice. to be seen in public together with his one armpit drenching oh every dress shirt, <laughs> having to clean layers of his body hair out of the drain every single day. So it's wrong. an enormous task that none of us can even imagine doing. Yeah. Our gift to you this year is a voucher that you can redeem anytime you'd like for us to babysit Mike. We'll sit there and wow. listen to him for an entire evening rant and rave while dining at an ultra exclusive restaurant that nobody knows about that's definitely the best one that's ever been made we'll even read him an extra story if he's a good boy so you don't have to thank you for all you do wow and god bless you wow sincerely the Brock and Salk show. Yeah, it's really too bad how it doesn't work here anymore. That was from 2018. Justin, we're slacking on our what? birthday present 2018? for Heather. Six years ago? Yeah, I've really grown up since then, though. <laughs> Everything's different. Let's do some Blue 88. Nailed it. This is Brock and Salk's Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now, here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, 
Brockle Blue 88. We'll start here. Question one. We were reading some of these stats earlier about just how crazy impressive the numbers were for Baltimore's defense last year. Yes. Of all those big time stats, which one jumps out to you the most? Well, this is a tip of the cap to my friends over there at PFF uh, Seattle Seahawks. The Ravens defense generated Salk 397 total quarterback pressures this regular season. It is the most recorded in the PFF era that is over 20 years ago they know how to attack the most important position on the field and that was super frustrating to your boy over the last three or four years okay i've seen a nickel blitz i saw that in high school i think even in the last century they were running some of the blitzes right i've seen the double dogs i've seen some of what you're trying to do clint hurt and trying to be aggressive ken norton and trying to be aggressive and then I see what the Baltimore Ravens do, and it's totally different. It's just, it's just much more exotic. It's much more challenging, right? It is very hard to decipher who's coming and where they're coming. If you want to see that scheme, for those of you that love football, go rewatch the national championship again, again, and go see how much Michael Penix got hit. Nobody got to Michael Penix this year, save for Arizona State on a wet, sloppy night when he was banged up. Nobody, nobody, until Michigan got to him in the national title game. They show you one look pre-snap, and it's a very different look post-snap. They show you one front one week. They show you another front the next week. Remember when we talked to Pete, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, Salk in the offseason, and he trying to you know figure out how New England does this every week, how they kind of mold and shape and adapt and how they're able to do it and then function within the details at such a high level? That's what they did in Baltimore to 397 pressures this season. Sign me up interesting i thought you were going to talk about their red zone scoring which was second which is pretty darn impressive you want to go yards per play you want to go touchdowns allowed you want i mean where where do you want to go there's a lot of them but you got to attack the quarterback man yeah Yeah. and when you play you know the the shanahan tree if you don't get to the qb and you don't affect matthew stafford and you don't affect brock purdy guess what they throw for 300 yards right over your head and beat you time and time again you've got to get to the most important position in sports question number two I think I know the answer to this one, Brock, but uh, as you're looking for the issues in college football, did you see another example yesterday? Yeah, I did. A a guy that I've gotten to know and like, and he's done a pretty good job at a very hard Mm -hmm. place to recruit and develop. That would be Mark Halfley. Jeff Halfley, Halfley. excuse me. Jeff Halfley at your beloved Boston College. Your beloved Boston College up there on Chestnut Hill. It sounds like a beautiful name, kind of like Strawberry Canyon in Berkeley, and then... Unfortunately, really hard to recruit and develop talent there. Although he got him to three bowl games in four years, and Jeff Halfley says, yeah, I'll, I'll leave a Power 5 head coaching job where I've been to three bowl games to go be a D coordinator in the NFL. Don't you think that's because he lost out on Henry Hasselbeck? It could be. You know, if you want to reach out to Matt, you know, and confirm that, that might have played a role. But I think it has a lot more to do with actually the level playing field. The stability of the NFL. Jeff Halfley is not 60. He's still in his 40s, middle age like you and me. And, and if he does well as a D coordinator in Green Bay, guess what's going to open up? Just like it did for 36-year-old Mike McDonald. Mm-hmm. A head job in the NFL where I don't have to kiss butts. Where I don't have to recruit 365 days a year. Where I don't have to deal with impending free agency every single season. Where I don't have to recruit my own players back twice a year where I don't have to compete with teams that just throw money at guys that I don't have in my program with all of just the ridiculousness and no regulation and no governance that we're seeing in college football. We've already seen it. 
Chip Kelly, by the way, also, where Henry Hasselbeck's going to go. Chip Kelly's name bantered about for a bunch of different mm-hmm. coordinator jobs, and there's still coordinator jobs out there. Will Chip Kelly do the same thing that Halfley did? Like, heck with this. You know, I, I've, I've kind of reached my ceiling here at UCLA, and we're going to go to the Big Ten, and i got to do all this travel, and I, and I don't like recruiting anyway. Let me go back to that NFL and be a coordinator. Until there's some regulation and some governance, you're going to lose some really good people, some really good coaches in college that said, the heck with all of this chaos. Let me get to the level playing field that is the NFL. All right, question number three. And I didn't even get the vein in my neck. I didn't nice. even get that upset about that. Oh, good. That was impressive. Thanks. I'm glad you weren't too upset about some guy from BC going to the NFL. Uh, question number three. What do you most want to hear him say about the offensive coordinator job? Well, I got a text, and this is a pretty good one, Salk, as we were having this whole offensive and defensive conversation. Uh, one of our P1s, and I can't thank Tom enough for listening, and not Captain Tom, this is golfer Tom. Mm. And he said, quote, unquote, this defensive guy rhetoric is just flat out getting old. These guys know both sides of the ball. How can you study and scheme for a team if you don't know offense? This is all about paying attention to the details and getting players to process that information immediately. I can't deny that. as, As I said, I think that rift between the offensive and defensive guys is different than it was in my era last century. Different between the Buddy Ryans and the Mike Holmgrens. Right, I think an Andy Reid understands pretty darn well how important Spagnola is to him, and making sure that you know that defensive guy is on details and is is simpatico with everything that I want to do. So I, I kind of am leaning a little more into that bucket. There's still mentality. There's no question about it. You still do come and his uh, from that from that background and that tree, and that's been his whole kind of optics. And now he's going to have to widen out to the whole game and the whole game management of it. So there's going to be a learning curve to climb there. Mm. I think Mike McDonald will have a pretty good feel for the kind of offense, having been around Lamar, having been around Harbaugh, having had different quarterbacks at at Michigan. And, and, you know, Lamar's not been, you know, Lamar stable for eight years. There have been different guys that have had to play there in Baltimore as well. I think he's going to have a pretty good sense. And, in fact, lastly, if he didn't have a good answer to that, he wouldn't be the head coach. Well, that's for sure. That's a good point. That's today's Blue 88. Uh, the only thing I guess I would answer there is I don't, I've never heard you and you're saying that. This, uh, I've never taken it as the defensive guys don't know anything about offense or vice versa. What I'm hearing you or Alex Smith or anybody else say is that it just it, 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 it affects their core principles of who they are. It affects the it way can. they see the game. It can, but Do once they again, see it in terms of, you know, the football limit possessions, play right. the game that way. Or, you know, is it week to week? We got to do whatever it takes. Like the Mariners are going to do in their hitting philosophy. We're going to do whatever it takes as data and numbers and analytics come into play, you know, in a significant way. Does this guy know numbers? Yes, he does. You know, is he going to be hyper aggressive in some of that capacity? These are all things we are going to learn. But I'll double down on what I said. If he didn't have a good feel for exactly what he wants to do as a staff, I don't think he's on that plane. I don't think he's introduced yesterday because I think you have to have a grasp on all of it. If he is the Sean McVay of the defensive side of the ball, we've heard the Sean McVay stories about his interview, how he blew those Rams away. And my guess is we're going to hear some of those same anecdotes I don't think anybody thinks this is like a Mike Leach situation where he's never met the people on the other (laughs) side of the ball. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect it to be anything like that. But I've just always heard what from you were – point of view but philosophically like, just, just change philosophically. your philosophy change the way That's you right. view the game if you're always sort of coming 
at it from one side versus the other. Yep. I think that's only natural. So sure. yeah, be, uh, that's that's the big question. Or certainly and only one natural, by the way, when you do coordinate a defense and you do call that defense, guess mm-hmm. what? Those defensive guys you're going to spend a little more time with. You're going to be a little closer to them, right? You're going to have a little more just natural relationship with them than you would some of the offense and why that coordinator hire is going to be critical. The Seahawks have themselves a new coach. What's the number one reason he's here? That's next on Brock and Salk.